Today we're going to be in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be discussing together a parable that Jesus, the Son of God, preached to us when He was here on earth. So we're going to be in Luke 16, and I'm going to start by reading the first few verses, beginning with verse 19. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who, was, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So Jesus is telling us a parable here, which is a story intended to drive home an important moral lesson to us. And in this story, we have two main characters. There are a couple of sub-characters, but the two main characters are the rich man and the poor man. This rich man we know is rich because of the way he dressed. He wore purple. In those days, purple was a dye that was very hard to come by. It had to be imported from Asia, from far away. And so you could only wear the color purple if you had a lot of money. He wore fine linens, and it said that he feasted, not just occasionally, but every day. So this man has more than enough money for himself. And in fact, um, he's got so much money that others are kind of drawn to him to hope to get some kind of, uh, of a benevolence, some kind of alms that might help them out. The second main character is the poor man. And he has a name. His name is Lazarus. Now, this is different than the man Lazarus, who is a friend of Jesus, who was raised from the dead. This is a different Lazarus. But this man Lazarus was a beggar in his life. He could often be found just hanging around the gate of this rich man's house, hoping that if he had some scraps or some old food that he was throwing out, that he might be able to eat of that food. He was poor likely because of this illness that he had. He's got sores all over his body. He is weak. So much so that even when the dogs come and try to lick his sores, he can't fend them off. He's very, very poor, and he's very, very afflicted to the point of misery. Now, despite the great differences between these two characters, they do have something in common. Rich or poor, what happens to every single person? Every single person eventually will come to death. And this story, we see the death of both the rich man and the poor man. Just because you've got a lot of money doesn't mean you can buy your way out of death. Everyone has to deal with death at some point in their lives. And so in Luke 16, verses 22, it says, The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, meaning in hell, in, in punishment, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and he saw Lazarus at his side. He knows Lazarus. Lazarus is the poor man who hangs around his gate. And so when he looks and he sees Abraham and Lazarus, for the sake of this parable, it doesn't mean that Abraham and Lazarus are in hell with the rich man. It means that he can somehow see them far, far away. So first of all, Jesus tells us about this rich man's fate. He tells us what happens to him. Despite these very enviable circumstances that he experienced in life, despite the fact that his life was the kind of life that everybody wants to live. Once he had to face judgment, where do we find this man? We find him in damnation. He is in the fiery place of hell. It was not his wealth that condemned him. 
That's not why the rich man ends up in hell. It was his sin that condemned him. Think about how many rich, wealthy people you see in the Scriptures who do know the Lord and who are saved by Jesus. We have people like Matthew, who is a tax collector, who, is, who would have been very wealthy because of his, his job and his profession. And yet, Jesus called him to be one of the twelve disciples. You have the man Barnabas in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we learn that Barnabas had much property. And when the church was growing, he sold much of his property and gave the money to the church so that they could support the preaching of the gospel. We have a man named uh, Philemon who was so wealthy that he had a, a vast amount of servants in many lands. And the church would come and gather and meet in his home. It was so big. And so it's not the fact that the rich man was rich that got him condemned and sent to judgment. He was condemned and sent to judgment because he had broken the laws of God. And he's not the only one, right? The scripture tells us that breaking the law of God is something that every one of us is guilty of. In Romans 3.23, it says, We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we break the commands of God that God gives to us in his scripture, then we bring judgment upon ourselves. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27, we read, If we go on sinning deliberately and receive the knowledge of the truth, or after receiving the knowledge of the truth, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries of God. So here the wealthy man is described as being in torment. He's in anguish. He's, it's like he's perpetually burning, but he's never extinguished. And some say that Jesus, they like to talk about Jesus as not coming to discuss hell at all. They want to think of Jesus as one who simply just came to love. They want to think of Jesus as one who wants to give, but never as one who condemns. But to think about Jesus that way is to only think about half of his mission. Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone else in the Bible spoke about hell. Nowhere did he say that it was a make-believe place. Some threat meant to scare people into obedience. He never talked about hell that way. He always spoke of it as a dangerous potential reality. One that we should avoid with all our efforts by turning from sin and turning to God. So Jesus was not afraid to talk about hell. He came to seek and save the lost. But he also came as one who cared about what is right and good and true. And Jesus will indeed one day return to judge wickedness and sin and to rend the world from it. So in this terrible state that the rich man finds himself in, he's allowed to see this vision of what he lost by ignoring God's grace and, 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 and doing whatever he wanted to during his time on earth. And so it says in the scriptures here, again, in, in, in Luke chapter 16, verse 23, it says, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and come and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Why do you think he sees Abraham here? That's kind of an interesting thing. Abraham is a very famous historical person in the Old Testament who came into covenant with God. He was the first of Israel from Abraham, his son 
Isaac eventually had a son whose name was Jacob, and God changed Jacob's name to Israel, and the 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel. So Abraham is the father of all who would consider themselves Hebrew people. And, and this rich man sees him. He sees him far away. Lazarus was standing with Israel. Lazarus was not condemned. Unlike the rich man who's experiencing judgment and torment, Lazarus, this beggar, is not experiencing the same kind of consequences. Just the opposite. He's in the place of security and rest. He's experienced the blessing of God's covenant promises. Despite his lowly state on earth, here we see this man safe in heaven, standing with a giant of the faith, with Abraham. And if you've been told that you're only loved of God if He shows you favor, if He gives you riches, and if He heals you from your diseases, if if you've been told that Jesus only loves you if He does those things for you, then you're wrong. You've been told wrongly. Because here this beggar was hurting, and he was was weak, and, and he had nothing of his own. And yet in the life to come, God showed him grace and mercy. That's where he received his riches. Here the poorest beggar has been set free from his suffering, not on earth, but in the life to come. So Abraham, this father of Israel, had died hundreds of years earlier. So we see by this that people in the Old Testament who had faith in God were saved as well. The work that Jesus would one day accomplish on the cross reaches backwards to those who are faithful in the Old Testament, and it reaches forward to those who came after Christ, people like us who would put their faith in Jesus. So the condemned rich man sees Abraham. He sees Lazarus the beggar beside him. And in his pride, the rich man, notice this, he continues to treat Lazarus as if Lazarus is below him. He never speaks to Lazarus, even though he knows who he is. He speaks to Abraham and says, Send the beggar to me. Send him like a servant to me to give me relief. Give him a a command and make him come and dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue so I'll have just the smallest bit of relief from this torment that I'm going through. But here is the problem. And we read it in chapter 16, verse 25. It says, But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, a great divide, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may uh, may pass from you to us. So the rich man was in judgment. And who had put him there? Now some might say, The man put himself there. And in some ways, that's true. When we ignore the grace of God and live as if he's not really there, we're condemning ourselves in a way because we're rejecting the means by which God saves people. But we should make no mistake about it. God is the one who judges the wicked. God is the righteous king. Those who do not experience the glory of heaven will be confined to hell by the righteous judge. And there is nothing they can personally do to get around that judgment. Just as God righteously condemns the wicked, it is also God alone who has not only the freedom, but the ability to choose to pay for the sins of those who are wicked. That is what Jesus Christ did, my friends. 
He entered into this world. The Son of God took on human flesh to live like we live, exposed to all of the difficulties of life. Yet He never, throughout His whole time on earth, never committed sin. He never broke the law of God, not even one time. So the perfect life that He lived, He was able then to offer it up as a sacrifice. He allowed Himself to be put to death like a sinner would be put to death crucified on a cross and put to shame. Why? Not for his own sin, because he had no sin. He did that to cover the sins of people who would trust in him. People like Lazarus. People who knew that they were wretched and wicked and knew that they didn't have the power to overcome their own sin. Who cried out to the Lord God and trusted that God was willing to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. Now we know the rich man's wealth was not his sin. But on the opposite side of the spectrum, the poor man's poverty was not his virtue. The point of this parable is not that we all need to forsake our money and become poor like Lazarus the beggar so that we can make it into heaven. That's not the point of the parable. If we thought that, we'd be missing the point entirely. Lazarus made it into heaven not because of what he did or did not do, He made it into heaven because he looked to the Lord God for his help. God had mercy on this man, Lazarus, simply because he was repentant and the rich man was not. With a new heart, Lazarus cried out for mercy and trusted that only God could save a wretch like him. When the rich man asks for relief from his judgment, Abraham knew that he could not do that. He could not give him relief. Because this was God's judgment, and Abraham wasn't going to go against it. If the rich man was in torment because of his sins, then he was sent there by God. And so Lazarus and Abraham alike are not so foolish as to think that they know better than God. That they might provide some relief for this one to whom God has proclaimed punishment. It was simply too late for that rich sinner. And there's a passage in the New Testament that helps us to see that fact. If we were to look at Hebrews chapter 9, We would read in verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So what does that passage tell us? It tells us that just like Lazarus, just like the rich man, one day every one of us will see our life here on earth come to an end. And it's at that point when we stand before the throne of God. And He looks at us and says, why should I allow you into my heaven? What what makes you worthy of being in heaven? The rich man no doubt said, look at how successful I was. Look at how how together my life was. Look at how the, the beggars would even come to my door and I would give them scraps. I would give them a little bit to eat. Doesn't that mean I should be in heaven? But that's not what gets us into heaven, friends. The things that we do to please God or to impress people is not what gets us into heaven. The only thing that can get a person into heaven is the perfect work of Jesus Christ. The rich man is not the only one who's broken God's law and earned punishment. Do we think that we can sin uh, against the Lord God and that He will 
never pay attention to that sin, that he will never judge it? Do you suppose that you might get away with living in rebellion to God's kingdom, that that you might insult your mighty creator by breaking his commandments whenever you feel like it and imagine that God will do nothing about that? God is a good judge and he will not put up with sin forever. There is a way to see your sinfulness defeated and you can't accomplish it on your own. You have to look to the author and the finisher of faith. You must look to God for your salvation, for your best efforts to dodge judgment will come to nothing apart from the help of Jesus Christ. To finish the story, it says in verse 27, and he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they come into the place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers hear them. And he said, no, father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. So having been shown the harsh reality of this man's foolishness, this man who was rich in life and became poor in death, cries out to Abraham and begs that he might at least send a messenger a messenger beyond the grave to speak to his brothers so that they might hear and wake up and not do the same thing that the rich man did, which is ignore God for their whole lives. And Abraham's answer might surprise us a little bit here. It sounds like a noble thing that the rich man is asking. He cares about his brothers. He doesn't want them condemned. But Abraham doesn't say, we'll send one right away. Instead, he says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers hear from them. What does Moses and the prophets mean? What that means is that those five brothers have the scriptures just like he had the scriptures when he was alive. They had the testimony that God has revealed to us that Jesus Christ alone is the source of our salvation. And if someone having the scriptures will not trust the scriptures, then it's not a miracle that's going to change their life. It's not some sign. It's not a messenger from beyond the grave. They have rejected the scriptures, then they have rejected the Lord God himself. If they're to turn away from judgment, they must hear the words of the prophets. They must hear the words of the law that point always to Jesus Christ. You might ask this morning, Pastor Nick, why would you preach such a heavy message today? Couldn't you preach something more uplifting, something more practical to the here and now that we're dealing with today? Can't you just encourage us? The reason I preach this message today is, first of all, it comes from Christ. And the best things I have to give to you are the things that Christ gives to all of us. Secondly, I know the needs that people have in this world today. There are great needs today. There are, there's hunger today. There is hurt today. There is sickness today. But the greatest need, the most important need that every human has is forgiveness from sin in Jesus Christ. So that the relationship that we have with God would not be a relationship of hatred and rebellion against God, but we are a relationship of peace that we experience when he restores us to himself, when he covers our sin and makes us pure so that we can be near to a pure and a holy God. We preach Moses and the prophets and the apostles and the church fathers because they all point to Christ. And what we want to preach is Christ and him crucified and how you respond to the good news of Jesus Christ We'll show you what you can expect of eternity. It's our hope 
that every individual will hear the gospel, will respond with a repentant heart, and will put their faith and trust in Jesus. That their riches will not be the things in this world that will eventually go to the grave anyway. The things that we have today will mean nothing once our life here is over. But we pray that you will have the riches that are stored up in heaven. These treasures that cannot be taken away from us. These treasures that are a blessing of grace. A free gift given to us, not because we earned it or because we deserve it, but because God is loving and faithful. It is given once for man to die and then judgment. But for those who trust in Jesus Christ, He has already been judged in your place. And He has set you free from punishment so that instead you might dwell with Him in holiness. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, we thank You for this message this morning. It is a a sobering reminder that we can't just wander through this life and ignore the Scriptures, for they are testifying to us every day of the power of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Let us put our eyes upon your word, God. Let us recognize that every one of us is sinful and in need of your grace and mercy. And let us trust in Jesus Christ that our sins might be paid for and we might draw near to you and live lives that are pleasing to you, God, by your power. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.